Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that we come to this time of year filled with expectations, but we also are filled with the amazing truth that you came to be with us. I thank you, Father God, for the time we have of fellowship today. I ask, Father God, that you would work in us and through us. I ask, Father God, that your word would transform us and fill us, Father God, with with joy and peace and excitement, knowing that we belong to you. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Christmas has always been something pretty special. Uh, Christmas was... One of my father's passions, along with barbershop harmony and church music. And I, I, love, I love Christmas. I love a lot about it. And I really enjoy the music and uh, the giving and the decorations. And in our home, when I was growing up, there was always uh, nativity scenes. And as my mom kind of took over the decorating, there was always a Christmas tree in every single room. I mean, every single room. I think there were years there were some in the closet that was underneath the stairway. And, the, and there, were, there were nativity scenes. And I remember a variety of different kinds of nativity scenes. And they would be in various places in the house. And, and the, that nativity scene is kind of a central theme, if you will, of Christmas and our Christmas decorations. And the center of those nativity scenes is the infant Jesus. You always have Jesus in the, in the, in the um, what is that called? In the manger. Thank you. It's going to be a long morning. Jesus in the manger. That's in the center of the nativity scene. He's the infant the infant Jesus. And the imagery that we have in that is of an infant. And what goes along with that is that an infant is helpless, weak, and vulnerable, totally dependent. And this kind of imagery is fine because that's really the, the humility that Jesus went through to come to save us. But that kind of imagery can also lead us to, to an idea of a, of a diminished or weakened God. Or we miss the deity of Jesus altogether. We relish in the Christmas story. We, we never grow tired of, of Gabriel announcing to Mary she would be the mother of God's son. The incredible appearance of the angels to the shepherds. The, the three wise men that somehow are led to, to Bethlehem and worship with these these gifts. The wicked King Herod's slaughter of of infant boys. This is all so amazing. It's wonderful and it's, it's fantastic. But we cannot let these aspects of Christ's incarnation blur our understanding of the eternal person of the Son of God. This is a, a fascination of mine because Jesus was God while he laid in the manger. In numerous places, the New Testament speaks of the deity of Jesus. One of those is Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Fullness in that verse means fulfillment or completion of a period of time. God set the time of the coming of His Son to redeem humanity. This was God's plan. The time was set by the perfect planning and purpose of God. I think the snow just went off the roof. Another amazing passage that speaks of the deity of Jesus is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That is a loaded verse about the deity of Jesus. And in verse 15, the word image, it comes from the Greek icon, it means to resemble. And it was used of the representation of a, of a person's face, let's say, pressed into some kind of material. Uh, it, it would be like the image of Lincoln that's, that's pressed into our pennies, or George Washington on a nickel. That's what the word meant. So what the idea is, is that Jesus is this image of God. He did not become the image he has always been that image from all of eternity past. He is the image of God. We find this same idea in another amazing passage in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and, in, and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This fabulous passage describes the baby born in Bethlehem. That baby came at precisely the proper time and in the perfect way that God designed. Here in Hebrews, Jesus is described as the radiance of God's glory because He reflects God's attributes. Hebrews states, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. The English exact representation is from the, the Greek character. Character. It's close enough. It's a term that means to... In, it, it originally meant the actual tool of engraving, but it was used of the precisely carved image that an engraver would make into metal or stone. Character took on the meaning of then exact representation of the object or the person the engraving illustrated. This meaning in first chapter of Hebrews is Jesus is exact in every way God, in every single attribute. This is imperative. It's imperative we don't 
underestimate the deity of the baby laying in the manger. That imagery, again, when we think of infants, when we think of a baby, that that communicates this innocent, total dependence, weakness, and vulnerability. And there's a part of that that's true. That's, That's him taking on human form. We know that. He was at great risk. His birthplace was not the greatest, especially if you compare it to today's standards. But this was God's perfect plan. And Satan would do anything to end his human life. That's why why the king wanted to kill all the babies. Satan did not want this human infant to grow into a man. The second person of the Trinity, the baby in the manger, we get that. And yet, do we fully get that Jesus was never ever anything less than fully God. Now, this will mess with your head a little bit as you put this together, but this is a clear teaching of Scripture. One of the ways the Bible clearly teaches Jesus is fully God are the statements that, that Jesus made exist, uh, of, of Him existing before the incarnation. For example, in John 1, 1 and 2, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. So we have a statement about Jesus being from the beginning. We also have statements that Jesus made about His eternal existence. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. There's a little bit of a play of words there, but Jesus is saying that I existed before Abraham. Jesus also made astonishing statements about his deity. And one of the most obvious, and it got him into trouble, is is found in John 10, verses 29 and 30. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Oh my goodness, the Pharisees were That's heresy. They wanted to kill him. Jesus is telling the Jews that he is God. He's clearly declaring his deity. And as God, Jesus cannot change. Agreed? That's one of the attributes that we give to God. God cannot change. So from conception through his birth... While he's in the womb, the birth, all of his life, he is God. He remained fully God. This truth brings even deeper meaning to the words Emmanuel from Isaiah. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We hear it every year, Emmanuel. It means God with us. In the incarnation, the Son of God lost nothing. Very, very important concept. The incarnation is an addition, not a subtraction. Jesus took on human nature without losing any of his deity. He never ceased to be fully God. So valuable and so important for us to get. Now, this 
does raise an interesting question, and I've been, I've been asked this many times. Why didn't Jesus just, why didn't he just come as a full-grown man? Why all the baby stuff? Why didn't he just come as a full-grown man? And, I mean, Adam was created as a full-grown man. So, so wouldn't it work for the Savior to take on human form as an adult male? Wouldn't that work? But the answer is so valuable to this whole idea of Emmanuel, God with us. So to answer this question... The first thing we need to do is we need to remember why He came, and that is for our sins. So we remember the eternal, permanent atonement for sins could only be secured by the death of a human life. Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Human blood had to be given. That's God's design. So that's why Jesus came in the first place. That's the whole reason. A perfect human life. A human not stained with sin. Do you remember what Jesus said the last night he was with his disciples? Put this into the same context. Matthew 26, verse 27. And he took a cup, and then when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The blood had to be given, and it had to be human blood, and it had to be human blood from a perfect human. This is God's perfect plan. God's perfect justice would say sin results in death. The perfect plan, salvation, comes only through the blood of a perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus. Jesus did not come as an adult male because by coming through conception, pregnancy, natural birth, growing as an infant, being a toddler, adolescent teen, young adult, and an adult, he had to grow and learn and work and hurt and play like any human. I think one of the biggest reasons why God did that was so that we would fully understand God with us. Because coming as he did, it removes any doubt that Jesus was fully human. He experienced every aspect of human experience from conception to death. The only exception is he never sinned. The 33 years of life is powerful evidence of Jesus being fully man, and it's also great evidence that he was fully God. Never was there a time that the Son of God ceased to be fully God, equal to the Father and to the Spirit. Messes with our head a little bit. I mean, how can this be? How can this work? How can Jesus have two natures? And, and the, the real answer to that that we have to settle on, the first place to answer that is that we may never completely understand how God did this. 
But we should realize that only God could do such an amazing, astonishing thing. God did this. He's completely sovereign and completely capable of things our finite minds can't comprehend. The great physician of the Bible and author of Luke and Acts tells us how the angel answered Mary's question of how. We find this in the Christmas story, Luke 1, 37. Mary's asking the same question, how is this going to happen? And, and the angel tells her about the Holy Spirit coming. And then in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. God did it. And the reality is, if we stay focused on the how, we're going to be disappointed we have finite minds. We're not going to get the how. So really the more important question is to ask why. Why did God do this? He didn't need to. He needs nothing. His perfection and holiness required His perfect justice. Sin must be punished for God to remain holy, good, and perfect. So God didn't need to. God didn't have to. So why did he do it? We have that most well-known verse that tells us why. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did God do it? God chose to show love and mercy and grace through Jesus. That's the why. That's so much more important to us and so much better for us to focus on than how he did it. He loves humanity so much, he chose to love us by taking on human form. Incredible, humbling. Incarnation is about God with us taking on human form. This is the greatest, most fantastic, glorious event in human history. God with us. God taking on human form so that we wouldn't die for all of eternity. In the story of Christmas, we read of God's glory showing up. Right? There's this glory story that, that, that's there in the, in, the, in the Christmas story. Luke 2, 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And, the, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. This glory that, that the shepherds saw, this, this display of heavenly glory by the angels was prophesied by Isaiah over 700 years before Christ's birth. Isaiah 40 verse 1, comfort Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. 
And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord showed up that night at the birth of Jesus. It says the glory shone all around them. If we put this into a biblical context, God had shown his glory other times in human history. And, it, and, and those times when his glory was shown was evidence God was with his people. It's, it's the same idea of the incarnation. There's two really great examples. We find these in the Old Testament. One is found while Israel is in the, in the wilderness right after leaving Egypt. Exodus 13, verse 20. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. That's God's glory. God was with them. His glory was leading them. Another, it's also in the wilderness, and, and this, is, this is all about the tabernacle, the place where God would come and, and, and they would worship, and God's glory would fill the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's the same glory. God's glory, the same kind of glory that's just too hard for us to, to describe, appeared in Bethlehem as the Savior of the world was born. The Son of God took on human form, and the glorious result is the salvation of anyone who believes. Why were the angels filled with glory? Why were they on this? Why this display? It's because salvation had come. This is stated every year in the Christmas story. For example, Luke 2:11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why the glory there is no other way to be rescued from eternal hell. It only can happen through Jesus. Salvation is only through Jesus. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. It's all about Jesus. So more than an infant in the manger... It's the glory of God. It's the, it's the glory of God shining brilliantly. And that glory continues to radiate and illuminate. And it is His brilliance. And, and that brilliance is our rescue. And, and it's the transformation of men and women and boys and girls. It's, it's salvation. By looking at this glory... A person beholds the loving, gracious mercy of God. It's the only way to overcome the certain eternal death of sin. 
the glory of Jesus. Now we celebrate his birth, but this is, this is the glory of Jesus. Fully God and fully man. And that fullness, that God and man together saves us from our sins. As we celebrate Christmas, I think it would be apropos for us to think in terms of the greatest exhibition of God's glory because He came to save all who would believe. This is God's glory. No wonder the angels sang glory to God in the highest. Emmanuel, God with us. Glory to God. Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you that in Him we have salvation. Thank you that in your perfection and, and your greatness and your power, you were able to, to send Him, and He took on another nature, the nature of humanity. He lived a human life, and He never, ever ceased to be God. So that the sacrifice he made on the cross, the death he endured, the burial he went through, raising from the dead, all of those things would be perfect because of his perfection, his deity. And I thank you that it is also because he was fully human at exactly the same time. Fully God, fully human. Oh, God. What a glorious thing in his name. Amen.